Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host Sara Davison shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is David Fagan. Now, David can help you become a best-selling, world-changing, money-making icon in your industry through publishing, publicity, and presentation. But as well as all that, he is the father of eight children, four girls and four boys, and he even has one grandchild. He has been divorced and he is now remarried to Isabel and they live in Arizona. David is also a world-renowned motivational speaker. So I am super excited to welcome David Fagan to the show. Welcome, David. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. It's a lot of fun. I know that you're going to add massive value to my listeners today. So thank you for being here. So before we kick off, tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Yeah, that's always a fun question, right? Because we're tempted to say what we do. Like there's all these things I do, right? Publishing and publicity and presentations, but I don't know if that's really who I am. You know, who I am, you know, I'm married for the second time. I've got a bunch of kids. I even have a few grandkids, if you can believe that. You know, <laughs> my second granddaughter just came, you know, just a couple of months ago. Uh, so, you wow, know, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I've got a few kids out of the house. I got a few kids in the house. You know, last year, obviously, we haven't been traveling as much, which has been nice. It's kind of been, you know, feeling kind of spoiled. I don't know about you, but, you know, it's been nice having a reason to kind of stay home and engage and communicate and connect. And so that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I guess that's mostly what I'm about these days. So when you say a bunch of kids, I know how many kids. (laughs) I got married really young and I had eight kids, one woman, eight kids. Okay. One woman, eight kids. And uh, yeah, I was married for almost 20 years before a really tough, tough divorce. And, uh, but yeah, so my oldest will be 24 this summer and my youngest is nine. So I've got four kids out of the house and four kids in the house. So as of right, as of this summer, it'll be 24, 22, 20, 18, 16, 14, 12, and nine. So there's three girls in a row and then four boys in a row and then another girl there at the very end. Oh my goodness. I mean, (laughs) that is a big family. And then on top of that, you went through a divorce. So now you are co-parenting with eight children. Talk to us about that, because I know with one child, how challenging that can be with eight children. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, you know, it's tough, right? I mean, when you're together, you kind of have these compromises of here's what we want to do with the kids. Here's the kind of life we want them to have. And as you, you know, be together separately, so to speak, as you raise kids, you know, separately together, you know, it's tough because... Uh, you may not be the same person, you may not have the same values, and I'm not talking about morals, but the things you prioritize, right? And so, you know, you really want to get them to this sports thing, and the other person doesn't care. They really want to get them to this music thing, and the other person doesn't care. And, 
you know, one person wants to get them to a certain church thing or a certain family thing and the other person doesn't care. So yeah, it's difficult for sure. I guess, you know, I'm not telling anybody who's divorced anything new, but it does pose a, a lot of challenges. I think in the beginning, it was harder. I think it's gotten easier, but there are definitely times that you have this meltdown or breakdown and it kind of seems like you go back to square one. It's probably not as bad as it seems in the moment, but when it breaks down, it, it sometimes it just feels like, oh, geez, here we are again, right? And that's yeah. just a hor- horrible, horrible feeling. And you know what? It's totally normal as well. I mean, I bet all my listeners are going, yep. Been there, in fact, maybe all right there right now, right yeah. this moment, going, oh my God, I get it. Yeah. So I guess going through a divorce is different for everyone, but do you think that men cope with a breakdown of a marriage differently to women? Yeah, I do. I think you know as well as anybody, it's probably not as simple as that. Like, I feel like in the relationship, a lot of times I probably had more feminine energy than maybe my wife did. So I probably had more of the uh, woman experience. Like I love to talk about things. I want to over communicate. I want to analyze. I want to know what went wrong so I can do it better. Uh, those things probably tend to be more in line with you know things that women uh, stereotypically more do. But you know, there's definitely a part of me where, at the end of the day, I just want to fix things. Right? It's like I'm done talking about it. You know, let's fix it now. So I do think that I am still like a lot of men. And I do think most men, ultimately, they just want to fix things, you know, so some men get there faster than others. Some men are like, I don't want to discuss it at all. Some men do want to discuss it. But at the end of the day, we want to fix it. And there's just not always a solution. And that's very frustrating for us because we'll rack our brains looking for the solution. And sometimes, you know, there's many different solutions. So then it's how do you get each other yeah. to the point where you both agree on the same solution, yeah. right? Well, well said. I mean, you know, not surprisingly well said because it is probably a more true statement that it's not so much that there isn't a solution, it's that there's so many solutions. Which solution is the best solution? Which solution will work? What solution haven't you tried yet? Which solution are you willing to try again? You know, so yeah, absolutely. Probably too many solutions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's resonating with lots of people right now. So also with kids of such a huge range of different ages, from nine up to 24, did you say? I mean, gosh, that's a a big, a big difference in age. They all react differently. Do you think the age? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, my oldest kids who are already out of the house, you know, they had good relationships or were in the process of kind of going out of the house they already had good relationships with me and their mom and they just loved us both. And they just wanted us to be happy. The kids at the very bottom, you know, they were a little scared and a little unsure and they needed to be reassured, but there was a lot of things they were kind of oblivious to, but my teenagers, you know, who are really the middle kids, they really struggle the most. Like, they felt more like, hey, I'm, you know, uh, you guys are leaving the family. And they saw the memories that their older sisters had. And they kind of felt like, you know, maybe they're missing out. And I'm sure to some degree they were. I'm sure there was a lot of other questions or issues. But a couple of my middle kids really struggled the most. One 
he really claimed it wasn't a big deal at all, but he had a lot of problems, like a lot of just issues uh, of all kinds, you know, at school, at home, with the law. He really had a lot of trouble. And then another daughter, she was just really heartbroken and felt like her mom needed her more than me. And so it wasn't necessarily anything against me all the time, but she really felt like sort of a casualty of the divorce. And because her mom needed her more, she felt like she needed her more, you know, it really strained our relationship for several years. And there were certain things that I had to do that I'm glad that I did that made a difference. But had I not done those things, I really wonder where we would be today. So can you share any advice on how you handled that for people listening who think, gosh, I'm in the same situation? Well, for me, and, you know, having a lot of different kids, it gave me a good sample size, I guess. (laughs) But for me, I mean, yes, every kid is different. But I think one of the things that parents don't do enough for their kids, both men and women, especially men, is they don't fight for their kids. And I don't mean fight, like physically fight. But I think one of the things that kids worry about is, does the parent love me? Does both parents love me? And they need to know that you're fighting for them. And I think a lot of parents, they get to the point where they're just like, I just can't do this anymore. I I give up, whatever. I walk away. It's not good for the kids. It's not good for me. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that your kids, some more than others, one of the best ways for them to know that you love them is to fight for them. And it can't be on a weekend. It can't be a week. It can't be a month. You know, it's got to be over a long period of time. For me, it took several years for me to keep and win 50% of my kids' time. And that's not right for everybody. But I think several of my kids saw me just consistently say, look, you're important to me. Whatever happens is whatever happens, but I'm going to do everything I can so that I have you in my life as much as I possibly can. And I think that over a period of time, won over a couple of my kids that were a little bit unsure, like, well, what is dad going to do? And a lot of dads kind of give up or walk away. And, you know, I showed up for things sometimes that they didn't want me at. You got to be careful about that. I don't mean like legally I'm not allowed at. I just mean, you know, they didn't invite me. Like some parents, they'll be like, well, if they want me there, they'll invite me. Don't wait to be invited. Don't wait for your teenagers to say that they want you in their life. You've got to go and make that effort at all ages. And you you just got to show up regardless. And you got to put in the time so they know that you love them and, and that you're fighting for them. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think consistency is really important because they see the world differently, you know, and and they've got other things going on. And kids very much tend to live in the moment more than sort of future planning, don't they? So, you know, if we are there showing up consistently, you know, with our values and telling them how much we love them, I think that's really good advice. Over a long period of time, you can make some ground way, even with kids that are quite confused by the whole thing. I've seen that so many times. So I know that your divorce wasn't just separating and then organizing the kids as well. It was also your community because you come from a religious background, right? That's how you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in a pretty strict, you know, religious background. And we were both, you know, members of the same religion. And uh, we were always very active in our church, you know, church every Sunday and then different activities during the week. You know, I'm probably more of a well, I'm not probably, I'm definitely more of a spiritual person than a religious person. 
but you know, you make compromises in, in marriage and you, you do different things. And I think that was one of the things kind of near the end is as I travel the world and as, you know, I met different people from different places and, you know, I worked with a lot of different people, a lot of different ways, you know, my spiritual backpack kind of got heavy and there were things I wanted to take out and leave on the side of the road that weren't serving me well anymore. And there were other things that I kind of wanted to add to it that, you know, really helped me in everyday life. And that was all good and well and sounds nice and pretty. But when that comes down to like a marriage and raising kids, you know, it's very difficult. And I see a lot of pressures on kids and there's a lot of depression with kids. And so, you know, parenting and how we parent and religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs and, you know, some of those things added to a couple who got married really young. But once the separation happened, the divorce happened, what also happened for me is, you know, I was perceived, even though I wasn't the one who filed for divorce, I was still overall perceived as the one not just kind of leaving my wife, but I was like leaving a church and leaving a religion and leaving a community. And so there's a certain amount of ostr- you know, being ostracized and kind of judged like, oh, he doesn't get it or he's lost his way. And so it's tough. And then you raise your kids kind of a certain way too. So they're kind of confused too. Like, well, what does this mean now for not just you as a person, but like, do you go to heaven? Do you, you know, because you did this, you know, where do you end up? And these things might seem kind of uh, silly or something you see on TV, but you know, when you're raised in a certain community, these are genuine real things that maybe even kids don't say, but it's kind of in family members back of their minds you know, and some will actually say it like, you know, you're going to go to a bad place if you make these kinds of decisions. You know, it's very, it's very tough, you know, and then you sometimes have church leaders that are involved in the counseling and the process. And so it's not just a relationship, you know, hey, let's figure out the relationship. It's, hey, let's figure out your, your worthiness, your spiritual worthiness, your religious worthiness. So people that might be in a Jewish faith or a Muslim faith or a uh, Mormon faith, you know, some of these faiths where they're, you, you very much live them. You know, it's not, it's not like something you're born into. It's like, it's something you actively do day in and day out. And there's a lot of rules. I, I, rules probably isn't the best word, but there's a lot of guidelines in which you're supposed to live your life by. So you walk away from those guidelines and, you know, you really kind of lose yourself a little bit. Yeah, I imagine, because it's, I mean, it is a way of life, isn't it? And then to sort of step outside of that, I guess you've got to start to rediscover who you are at your core again. How did you do that? Well, one thing I want to say, too, just since I brought up a few different religions, you know, I don't have anything against any type of religion. And I am spent a lot of years very happy inside of, a, of an organized religion. I just think that everybody, you know, needs that right to kind of grow. But, you know, how I kind of dealt with that was, you know, very slowly. And I made sure that I kept my kids' lives the same as possible. You know, when my kids are with me, you know, I still take them to church, you know, fairly regularly. We split the time 50-50. So half the Sundays they're with me. So I still take them to some of those things. I didn't turn on a dime and turn my kids' world upside down with any big epiphanies or anything like that. So I think... We need to be true to ourselves, but we also need to think about, you know, our kids and be very careful because some parents will start to try to turn their kids against a parent. You know, look at the mistakes, look at this, look at their choices, 
this person's the good one, this person's the bad one. And, and I think that that was one thing that I tried hard not to do. I think the one thing that did come out that I probably didn't do as well on is I just felt like there wasn't a lot of forgiveness. And so sometimes that topic kind of got brought up and that was tricky. But I think when you're dealing with your kids, you also talk to them in an age appropriate way. I'm going to talk to a 20 year old different than I'm going to talk to a 10 year old. You know, I'm going to talk to a 12 year old even different than I'm going to talk to a 15 year old. But yeah, putting your kids first and not turning their world upside down and being consistent and looking for the teaching moments are really important. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's, everyone is different and everyone needs, like you said, age appropriate support and advice. Um, yeah. And I guess with eight kids, it's, that's going to be a lot of work, a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. well, and you know, I wish this would go without saying, but it doesn't. So I'm going to say it, you know, obviously there's exceptions to what I'm saying. I mean, safety has to come first. I mean, if a parent is downright doing something truly unsafe, and I guess you have to decide what that is, there's nothing wrong with you telling your kid, hey, that's not safe. You know, that that's not okay. You need to say this, or you need to do this, or I need to say this, or I need to do this. So I'm not talking about those types of things. There are certain things that have to stop and they have to come to a hard stop and they have to stop now and they have to stop today. And they've, you know, sometimes even have to evolve other people. But besides that, in terms of, you know, sports and music and friends and guidelines and how late you stay up at night and, you know, how much church you go to and what movies you can watch and, you know, all those kinds of things, you know, I guess that's mostly what I'm referring to. Yeah. No, good advice. So then coming out of a 20-year marriage and being a single guy in, well, I know you live in Arizona, what was the dating scene like? Because I imagine 20 years on, and you were young when you got married, yeah. you know, this was a whole new experience for you. So how did you navigate that? Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, Get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one -one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. This is a whole new experience for you. So how did you navigate that? Well, I was living in California at the time and the people I was around and the work environments I was in, it was interesting to me that a lot of things that mattered when I was younger in maybe smaller communities just didn't matter. Like it was more about energy than it was about age. It was more about health and habits and style than it was about, you know, 
where'd you go to school to, or, you know, you know, what's, what do you do for a living? I mean, um, you know, people want certain levels of success. Some people care more about that than others, but for the most part, I was surprised, you know, I thought, geez, you know, am I, I've got all these kids and I've got all these things, you know, who would ever want to date me? You know, I come with all these things going on, right? My life is not exactly simple. It's very complex. But I was surprised how many people, women really didn't care about that. I mean, if, uh, you know, I mean, it was definitely an issue for, for some people, but it was really just more about chemistry and personality and, you know, fun and stimulating conversation. And I'm very philosophical. So for me, it was, you know, talking to people and kind of figuring out what people knew and what they believed in. You know, it was more like that. And it was more um, easygoing. Like when I grew up in a religious thing, it was like, you date to get married. Like, that's why you date. And I, and I did date a lot in as a young person inside that way of dating. But I didn't date people with, you know, a lot of diversity age-wise, race-wise, religious-wise, culture-wise. And so it was a lot of fun, as, as you can imagine. There were definitely things that were like, I always thought this, and I was right. <laughs> that is how I am. But then there were other things where it's like, oh, you know, I kind of like somebody who fill in the blank. You know, I kind of like somebody who thinks this or believes that or, you know, uh, so there, there was also a few pleasant surprises along the way as well. Yeah, I think a lot of my listeners will be going through that right now to, out there on the dating scene. Um, and one of the things I always say is not just to focus on what you want, because quite often we know chemistry wise who we're attracted to. That's you know pretty straightforward. And the type that you have, a lot of people will have a set type. But actually, it's more about what you need, I think, when you're coming yeah. out of a, a relationship that's especially a 20 year relationship. But if you're going through a divorce, learning the lessons from the past, yeah. banking them and then yeah. making sure you're not repeating them. Did you find that was a, a useful strategy moving forward? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, I think it was so much time in between. I don't know if I remembered all of the lessons and then it was kind of like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I, I, I remember a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but absolutely. And I think one of the things that, you know, after dating for a couple of years, it was like, okay, you know, I, I think I do want to be married, which was interesting. And also too, you know, I just had to figure out a lot of things again. I also, you know, I think people sometimes feel bad about maybe what they want or what they're looking for. And it took me a little bit to kind of be honest with that. Like I felt a little bit bad because of certain things that I wanted, but they were just because I needed to prioritize my kids. And, um, you know, once I got over that, I think life got a lot easier and dating got a lot easier because I was being more true to myself and there's nothing wrong with dating and just kind of seeing, you know, what I wanted and what I needed. But at the end of the day, my advice for people dating is, yeah, you're going to learn all these things, but at the end of the day, you need to be smart about, you know, what you really need. And if you have kids, then you have kids, you know, and I've seen people not prioritize their kids, both men and women, and they end up living places that are too far away and they end up, you know, sacrificing opportunities and then relationships come strained and then, you know, they're kind of stuck, you know, they're in a new marriage and a new marriage makes it hard for their kids. They live in a different place. 
you know, they took a different job and now all of a sudden, you know, they're right back in an area of being unhappy for a whole another set of reasons. So yeah, go out and figure out what you want and what you want to do and date without a lot of um, prejudgment. But after you kind of go through that and you want to get serious, I highly recommend taking into account and not feeling bad about the logistical things you need to put your kids first. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I guess, applies also to introducing a new partner to your kids because, yeah. you know, I mean, with you know, you'd hope your kids get on, but with eight kids, you've got, you know, there's, <laughs> a, there's a lot of people to get on with. <laughs> How did that work for you? That must have been an interesting one. Yeah, you know, it was. And, uh, you know, I didn't introduce very many people because, you know, nobody really, you know, only a couple people really kind of got to that point where I felt like that was necessary. But, you know, it was also nice because, you know, I have my kids one week and I don't have them another week. So, you know, seven days on, you know, seven days off. So that gave me a, a lot of time to, you know, figure things out. And then when it was time to do that, you know, it could be done fairly easily. But um, I knew that whoever it was had to be able to not just get along with my kids, but genuinely love my kids. You know, maybe it doesn't need to be that way for everyone. But for me, like, you couldn't just like, yeah, your kids are nice, you know, pat them on the head, you know, (laughs) they seem nice, you know. I mean, I I needed to know that it was within them to, to love and to love them. And that was important before we ever even got to that point. Yeah. Wow. I mean, such good advice. And I think your wife must be a, a very special person because eight children, like you said, is, is a lot. And to take that on. So are you guys planning kids for you? No, <laughs> no, no, no. And again, that kind of goes to the examples of some of the things that I kind of felt bad about is like I needed somebody who, you know, kids weren't a priority for them. You know, I kind of went into it like if you really, 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 really want to have a kid then I want you to tell me about it. And I want to talk about it. So like on a scale of one to 10, if you hit a nine or 10 and you stay a nine or 10, then we'll discuss it. But I'm not looking for that. And as I got more serious, I was very you know clear about that because I had already checked those boxes in my life. And then the other thing too, and, and again, this is kind of the part that I, I kind of felt bad about is I really didn't want somebody who had too many kid issues of their own. You know, just because I thought it would be unfair if that was the scenario. So, you know, I was really looking for somebody who didn't have any kid issues or the kid issues were very limited or, you know, they didn't have kids at all. And that was mostly for my own kids. Luckily, my kids were all older and because they're kind of close together, they're all sort of friends with each other. You know, if you've got an only child, you know, it, that can be tough because you are their friend, right? You're you're their best friend. You know that, right? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. You know, my yeah. kids, like I had four boys together, right? And three girls together. Like they kind of just go off and do things, right? But I couldn't really do that as much. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you really had a clear picture of what you needed from that relationship so that when you found the right person, you knew it had a, a higher potential of working out. Yeah. And I went into it, you know, even once I kind of felt like I found it, you know, I still went pretty slow and because I wanted to hear certain things over and over again, you know, I didn't want to hear within the first couple of weeks or first couple of months, the right answers. I wanted to hear what I thought the right answers were. And then I wanted those right answers to stay. <laughs> and then I wanted there 
to be that consistency and a little bit of time testing. And some people, they might want that for five, 10 years. I didn't need that, but I definitely needed, you know, a year or two of hearing the same things and it not, it not really changing. I guess a lot of my listeners are going to be saying, well, what did she want you to meet? What criteria did yeah. she have? Are you aware of that as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very much a communicator. And so, you know, once it kind of got time to talk about these things, we talked about a lot. Like I would even say, and this probably sounds really dorky or funny, but I would even say like, Hey, do you want to talk about our relationship? You know, do you want to, do you want to work on a relationship? You want to talk about a relationship? You know, I mean, this was after, you know, months and months of like knowing each other, but I would say things like that. And then we, I would just talk like, you know, let's talk about these things. And I was very careful to, I don't want to fix anybody or change anybody. And I didn't want anybody to try to fix me or change me. So the conversation wasn't like, here's what I like and here's what I don't like. It was just more like, you know, what do you feel like you still need to know? You know, what are you still looking for? Not that I can give it to you, but what are you still, you know, looking for? Like what's important to you? But I, I think one of the mistakes that, that people make and a lot of my friends make that, you know, have gone through this as well is I see them finding somebody and they're like, oh, well, she's beautiful. Now let me see if I can make her what I want. Or, oh, he's successful. Now let me see if I can, you know, make him how I want him. You know, and I think that's the slippery slope. So to answer your question, I don't think any of the answers would really surprise you as far as what, you know, kind of what she wanted. I think that they fit the list of what a lot of people, you know, a lot of women, you know, kind of want, you know, they want somebody who has a sense of humor. They want someone who's fun. They want someone who's entertaining. They want somebody who's charismatic. You know, they want somebody who takes charge, is kind of a decision maker. You know, they don't want to plan everything or do everything. And it's all about the balance, right? Striking the right balance. So a lot of women and my, you know, my wife was the same. She kind of wanted the balance. You know, she wanted somebody who wasn't going to stop and be like, hey, can I kiss you? But was also going to be respectful, you know, and that's, that's a tough balance to strike, you know, for, for some people. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing for her was uh, that maybe was a little bit different is she really wanted somebody that could bring out the best in her. Like she really felt like she was going to be able to be the best version of herself and experience the best things of life as the best version of herself with somebody. So, you know, there were guys that I think she dated in the past that kind of made her feel small or kind of made her feel limited or kind of made her feel stereotypical or a certain kind of person, a certain kind of place. So she wanted possibilities and potential. And I think one of the things is she felt like there were a lot of possibilities and there was a lot of potential. And the more she was with me, the more she felt like, you know, she was becoming more of like her true self and her, and her mm. best I think that's a really important quality to look for in a partner, actually, especially yeah. you know, if you're coming out of a toxic relationship or a relationship where you weren't allowed to shine or maybe you did take a back seat for whatever reason, um, being able to, to be your best self and not hide your voice and shine your light as bright and not let that you know, tarnish the relationship, I think is really important. I think a lot of yeah. my listeners will definitely be adding that to their list. So I know that you guys have a very strong partnership. In fact, you've just written a book together, right? Yeah, yeah. And before I get to that, and I should have said this, you know, a lot earlier on, 
you know, your books helped me in working with you, you know, it, it really truly helped me. And some of the conversations that we had, you know, helped me as well. And I probably am somewhat of a, an 80s, 90s romantic being born in, in the 70s. And, you know, I'm big on all these montages and uh, these movie scenes. And, you know, it's just not reality. And some of the conversations that, you know, even we had while you know, working on your second book and me going through your other book and me just learning more about you and going through your videos and things like that is before I met you, I would have thought, oh, I'm looking for the person who completes me. Right. And, you know, you know, there's a lot of things like that that are just these falsehoods or these myths. If there was something that I needed to complete, then I made it my responsibility to fix that or complete that. And I was also looking for somebody else that way as well. Like, you know, I wasn't looking to save someone or rescue someone where in the past there is kind of this romantic, you know, people make it this romantic notion of rescuing, saving and completing and whatever. And those aren't always the, the healthiest relationships. And I think those are things that I, I learned from you. And I think that that helped me because there were people who they weren't really ready for me. Not that I was advanced, but I had kind of already got myself to a certain place in life. And I think earlier on, I would have, I would have been attracted to, to that. I mean, what guy doesn't want to be the hero or the knight? And that's kind of even a little bit of what happened with my very first wife is I kind of felt like in some ways there was this romantic notion and story to kind of how it all came together and what I thought maybe I was doing for her. That really wasn't the case. So I just wanted to, to say that because it really is true that there are a lot of things that we come into, especially generationally in movies and curriculum, that gives mm -hmm. us a lot of myths that we're making decisions by. Our decision-making matrix sometimes needs to be tweaked, and I think that's where you can help the most. Oh, thanks, David. I know you've been on a journey, but it's great to see you so happy and in love. And I mean, yeah. it's just wonderful. It's, it's, a, it's kind of the fairy tale ending, really, to, to what was a pretty tough divorce and breakup. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was. And um, I have some kind of unromantic notions about certain things and some certain ideas about relationships that probably a lot of people wouldn't agree with. But, you know, one of those is that things aren't really mistakes. And so you know, it's not that some things aren't feel like more mistakes than others, but I think some people come to me and they're like, oh, gee, you know, don't you wish you would have figured this out sooner? Don't you wish you wouldn't have made that mistake? And it's like, I just don't, I don't see it that way. Um, I had a great thing for a lot of years, you know, almost all of those years we were together. It was, it was really good. And, um, you know, people, we live a long time nowadays, right? And people change and people evolve. And so the idea that, you know, there's a soulmate or there's one person out there for us, I don't really subscribe to that. You know, I would never want to lose my wife or have anybody lose somebody. But there are times where I think it does make sense that, you know, you're not really the best thing for each other, you know, anymore. So um, I am very... Uh, fortunate. And it does seem like a storybook or fairy tale ending or whatever words you want to use. But at the same time, those words kind of scare me a little bit because <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't want to make it like that. Like I, I feel like this is more modern and contemporary in the way that we live our lives and it really works for us and it probably wouldn't work for everyone. Mm, well said. I like that a lot. So yeah, 
tell us about the book because I know people will be interested in that. Well, you know, I'm a writer. I've written a bunch of books and one of the fun things to do, you know, after kind of being married, you know, last year when everything was shut down, you know, me and my wife are, you know, out on jogs or doing things together and, you know, just more and more time to, you know, just kind of experience things. And so, of course, it was like, we always knew that maybe we would write something or create something together. And so we had that, that time. And so, yeah, we put out a book called Becoming Significant. And it's just all about, you know, the things that help people create meaning and fulfilling lives. You know, it's not a relationship book, but there are a lot of things in there that would really help somebody's relationship. It's really more about the mindset and the heart set. And um, there's a, you know, becomingsignificantbook.com is where you can see more about, you know, the book. But just as a free gift, if you go to becomingsignificantbook.com forward slash dig, D-I-G, I know it's long, it's done that way on purpose, but becomingsignificantbook.com forward slash dig, you can actually get the digital flip book for free. So anybody who wants that free, that's kind of my gift, but you can pull that up and take a, take a look at that. Cause I know a lot of you guys are in different places and it might be hard to have some of the physical books shipped to you. But um, yeah, so we got to write that and create that together. And if you kind of get inside of it, you know, there's a lot of drawings and there's a lot of quotes and poems and there's different stories and, you know, stories of people that I've worked with. I've got to work with a lot of really amazing people. So some of their stories in there. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And if somebody wanted to come and find you for coaching or find out more about you, should we send them to your website, David? Yeah, how to invoke sacred words that unlock real power. Ooh. And it's just, you know, words to live by. But I, I have this passion for words. And so there's a lot of words in here where I give you kind of the definition and, you know, kind of build it out and whatever. But yeah, David T. Fagan, just like it says here on our video conference, David T. Fagan, that's my main website and has an option for, you know, personal coaching or, you know, business consulting. But if anybody ever wanted to schedule a quick 15 minute call, my calendar link is on there. A lot of times it's a little ways out, but if anybody wanted to connect with me uh, about those type of things, I've done a lot of things with kids. I wrote a book called How to Raise an Entrepreneur. It's actually called Gorilla Parenting, How to Raise an Entrepreneur. But that book also kind of gets into parenting stuff and, you know, couple kind of stuff. But all of those things, Gorilla Parenting, Becoming Significant, you know, business stuff, personal stuff, all of that can be found at davidtfagan.com if you wanted to connect with me. Great. Well, I will definitely be recommending that. And your book looks awesome. I will be getting my own copy and heading yeah. over Yes. <laughs> check it out but thank you so much for being my guest you've been awesome and fabulous as yeah. i knew you would be and i know that you will have helped a lot of people listening with your views and yeah. ideas so that's it for today's episode be sure to head on over to davidtfagan.com to find out more about david and his work and book a free call and i look forward to you joining me on my next episode That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. 
For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sarah's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.